Well, hey, man, where's the line to see Jesus? Uh, every year, Nicole spends some time and she wraps up about 25 different Christmas books. And every night uh, from January 1st through Christmas, Waylon gets to unwrap something. It's a book. He knows there's a book in there. And we read that book. And one of those books is called The King's Christmas List. I don't know if you've ever read that book or heard of that book. But it, it begins with this young lady. And she has a little dog named Shushu. And her name is Emma. And uh, they go out and they notice that the mailbox was kind of glowing and she opened it up and inside was an invitation. And this invitation was addressed to the Lady Emma and her honorable dog, Shushu. It was an invitation to the king's palace for the king's birthday party. She began to think, well, what am I going to take? What do I, a young girl, have to give to the king? And she looked, and there was her favorite cake. It was here on the table. In just a moment, a carriage pulled up, a horse-drawn carriage. And Emma and Shushu go out, and they get in this carriage, and it begins to make its way. And Emma realized, as they're going down, she began to see different things as she traveled and up ahead was this old lady and her young son who were very hungry and was very cold and they were trying to cross the road they stopped a moment to find out what was going on they told him the horse says we need to go and she says no hold on just a moment and she got down and she took her cape off her favorite christmas cape and she wrapped it around the young boy and can tell that he was warmer and they were hungry and she didn't know what to do. She had this cake she was going to take to the king, but she said, I need to give the cake to them. And then a little further down, she heard some crying and they stopped on a bridge and a little boy had lost his teddy bear. The water was running down and it took off and she had her favorite teddy bear, chair bear with her. And she took her teddy bear and she gave it to the little boy and said, I need for you to do me a favor. She said, can you take care of Cherry Bear for me? And he said, I think I can do that. So they pull up to the Grand Palace and the doors open automatically and the trumpets blare out and she's introduced as Lady Emma and her honorable dog Shushu and she goes in and there's all these boys and girls and they're all playing when all of a sudden everyone stopped the loud trumpets rang, and there he was sitting on the throne, the king. And you can tell by the depiction in the book that this king is representing Jesus. And he's there, and Emma began to look around. And she saw all the boys and girls playing, and they were all giving each other gifts. But no one had anything for the king. And she went up and the king said, I understand you have a question for me. And she said, yes. She said, today's your birthday, right? And she said, yes. She said, Why is everyone giving everybody else a gift and no one has anything for you? And he says, over the years, it's just changed and they have forgotten. They enjoy sharing, but they've forgotten. And she said, I'm so sorry. She says, I don't have anything for you. He says, oh, but I know. And she says, how do you know? And he turned around and she looked and there was that old lady and her son kind of looked like an angel. 
He said, what you did to them, you did to me. And then she saw over here was that young boy who had lost the teddy bear. And he said, what you did to him, you did to me. He said, you see, Emma, today I went searching for the true heart of Christmas. And you have shown everyone here what the true heart of Christmas is. Is it's giving. And then it refers to the Bible verse. What you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. What you've done to the poor, you've done unto me. You see, that's what Christmas is about. Yes, it's about giving. God gave us the gift, the gift of baby Jesus. May we not forget, but I want us to look today. You see, there were some others in the Christmas story that I want us to look at that had an interruption in their life. And that were the wise men. We sang about them a while ago. I'm sure we are so used to in our Baptist. We sing the first, the second, and the last stanza. Every year when we come to this and we sing about we three kings, some of you wonder, are we ever going to finish? Because there's five verses in there. Why do we do all five verses? Because if you'll take time to go back and read, they tell a story. They tell the story about the birth of Jesus Would you take your Bibles this morning as we look at another interruption and open to Matthew chapter 2, the first book of the New Testament, the gospel according to Matthew chapter 2. Once you've turned there, if you would please stand. And we're looking at this from the idea of the birth of Jesus. Matthew is telling, he was writing to the people to explain to them, and I want you to know this so that you hear it as we're reading. He's trying to explain the divine nature of Jesus Christ. He's trying to explain to them that Jesus is the promised Messiah and the King. And let's read, follow along with me, Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah." Out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. After having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him, and opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another 
way. Father God, thank you today for your word. Lord, would you now open our eyes, Lord, that we may hear and that we may see. Lord, would our hearts be tuned into you this morning. And Father God, I just pray that you would help me to step aside, Lord, you would speak through me, Lord, what it is that you have for us to hear today. And Lord God, I just pray everything in the precious and the most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I want to take uh, some time this morning and work through and explain some things because I am um, keenly aware that each of you have heard this story many times. Each of you out there, many of you have probably heard this story many more times than I have. That's just a fact of life. We're not going to talk about how I know that. But I know that many of you have heard it more. But I want us to break some of it down and begin to understand what was going on. And then at the end, I've got several points that I want to go through quickly that I think we can take away or that we can learn from this. But let's take a moment and look there. Um, Verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. It says, was born in Bethlehem. Where is this Bethlehem? So we understand that Jerusalem is up on the hill. Everything's up there. These magi have come from the east. They've gone to Jerusalem. Why would they have gone to Jerusalem? Because they believe there's been a king born and the king would be in Jerusalem. So they've made their way to Jerusalem, but it tells us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And that is going to be about six miles south of Jerusalem. And remember, these Magi have already traveled some great distance. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Some believe maybe 800 to 900 miles they've traveled. But they didn't get in an airplane. They didn't get first class. Well, they went first class their day. They didn't have a car, but most of them probably had camels. There was a caravan. A trick question I like to ask people is, how many Magi were there? And you can ask most people, and they're going to give you a very quick answer. There were three. But I'm here to tell you, the Bible does not tell us how many magi there were. Why do we always go three? Because there were three gifts. There could have been a whole caravan. And they all brought something of gold, frankincense, or myrrh. So we have Bethlehem, and we know where Jerusalem is. It's up on the Temple Mount. And then from Jerusalem, about six miles south of there, is the little town of Bethlehem of Judea. A very small town. And then it tells us that it was Herod the king. Who is this Herod? I want us to understand this. You might have remembered from school reading about Herod the Great. That's who this was. There were many Herods. But this was Herod the Great, we know him, and his reign would have been from around 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. Well, I began in my mind, you know, my mind works different than everyone else's. I begin to think, well, if Herod is king and he reigned from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C., how was he king when Jesus was born? So I do some research, and Jesus was actually born, if you're looking on the timeline, somewhere around 6 to 4 B.C. So he was actually born right at the end of Herod's reign. And then we see that there were the Magi. 
What do we know about Magi? They were wise men. They would have specialized in astrology, reading the stars. I believe that fits the picture that we have here. They would also have been wise men of medicine and would study natural science. So we've got this man, and it tells us that they came from the east. Where was this east? Most likely, they were from the area of Persia. And I always wondered, because it said that they saw the star and they come, well, if these people were from Persia, how would they have known anything about Jesus being born? How would they known anything about a king being born and something different? Well, here we go. Let me take you on a little journey, a little trip. They were most likely, as we saw here, astrologers. They studied the stars. And one night they're out there studying the stars when all of a sudden there's an interruption in their life. There is a different star out there. Well, would that have meant something? Yes, it would have caught their attention. How would they have known to go and to look for a king? Have you ever wondered that? Or have you, like me, many times just read on past it? But they knew there was something there. Being from Persia, how would they have known about the star? One possible answer to that is, you remember the Old Testament prophet Daniel? Daniel was a writer. And he was also the chief of the court seers from Persia. So most likely they might have ran across this scripture. They would have known from the Old Testament. They would have had from Daniel chapter 9. Listen to verses 24 through 27. It said, 70 weeks have been creed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issue of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 72 weeks, excuse me, 62 weeks, It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with the flood. Even to the end, there will be a war, a desolation and determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolation. It's talking there very plainly about Jesus and about the devil. But Daniel would have wrote, there would have been other things that these Wise men from Persia would have known another possibility as you remember Balaam. We've read and talked about Balaam over in the book of Numbers. Balaam also had a prophecy concerning a star that was coming. Balaam 24, 17 says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel, and shall cross through the forehead of Moab, Moab, 
and tear down all the sons of Sheth. So throughout scripture, there is prophecy of this. These wise men would have been learned men. They would have been very smart. They would have studied. They would have known this. So all of a sudden, their interruption when they're studying the stars, there's one that appears. Now I'm going to step out on a limb here. There are some who say this would have been a comet or this would have been a natural star of some phenomenon that was out there. But I'm going to stop and say I don't believe that. And here's why. Because these wise men followed the star until it stopped over the house where the baby was. If this was a normal star or a natural phenomenon, that star would be moving through the sky all the time. It would not be staying in one place residing over where Jesus was till they found him. That's my plug in for it. You can choose to go with what you think. But we also see over in verse 8, I want us to look at um, yeah, verse 2. It says that they came for that star. And then in verse 8, it talks about Herod again. And he says, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Now, let me just ask you on your own. How many of you in here think that King Herod wanted to go worship another king? No. But we also read over uh, where it says that he heard... In verse 3, and when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Why would all of Jerusalem been concerned and troubled when they heard the news? Because they knew the evil, conniving, ruthlessness of King Herod. They knew there's fiction to be trouble. Let me just give you a couple of examples of how ruthless this king Herod was. The first part of his kingdom was good. He brought in peace, but the last few years he was so ruthless and he was so afraid of someone else usurping his authority that he had all three of his sons killed so they would not be able to take his place on the throne. In an outrage, he had one of his wives murdered because he was afraid of someone overstepping and taking it. Would you say that's a ruthless man? And we know if you read further on that he was so worried about it that he found out about the time the star was. Why did he want to know that? Because he went, when he found out he had been tricked, he went and killed every male child that age and under. In verse 11, something that kind of will ring a bell with us. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. How many of you have seen, and we see it so often, a manger scene where baby Jesus is wrapped up in these little swaddling clothes. He's lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph is there. The shepherds are there. And who else is always in our picture? The wise men. It's nice it tells the story. But the wise men were not at the manger. How do we know that? 
How can we stand on that? Verse 11 says, and when they came into the, what, what does it say right there? Can you pull up, you got 11 there we can pull up on the screen? And they came into the house. The manger was not in a house. He's now in a house. And also it says they saw the what? Child. That is a different word from infant. That is a different word than baby. Matthew 2.11, we see child. You go over into the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2 when the shepherds came and found the baby Jesus lying in a manger. So there has been some time that has moved on, most likely from everything that they can tell, probably roughly some months all the way up to two years. Jesus, uh, Herod sent all those soldiers to kill all babies two years and under. So somewhere in that time frame, but long enough that they've moved from the stable to a home, and he is now being called child Instead of baby. And then let me take just a moment as we look at the gifts. I think these gifts are very important. Verse 11 tells us it was gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They are symbolic. What have I told you? Anytime you see something specific in God's word, it's there for a reason. Why gold? Number one, gold was worthy of a king. It was the most precious metal but beyond that not only are they bringing gold to a king there's some symbolic nature to the gold because it represents who Jesus is Jesus is divine in nature and Jesus is the most precious and highest thing there is they presented him with gold They also presented him with frankincense. It's an incense that's associated with worship and prayers and communication with God. And they presented him myrrh. And it's a spice that's used in burial anointment. What better way to depict God than gold? Frankincense and myrrh. They're telling his story of who he is from beginning to end. Now I have five things I want us to just quickly run through some takeaways. The first one is I believe that we see through here that we should know God's word and be able to recognize when he is working. Matthew 2, 2 tells us that they were where he was born king, for we saw his star. These wise men had studied the scripture enough that they knew when this star appeared that this was not any normal star, but it was an act of God, and it was symbolizing that Jesus had been born, and they come to worship that king. Secondly, we should seek after God's moving. We should know when God's moving and we should seek that. Just because you see something on TV, oh, God's moving, look at all what's going on. Compare it with scripture. We should know God's word and you can tell when God's word is moving. And when God is moving, church, we need to seek after him and we need to join him where he is at work. I think experiencing God talks about that, if I'm not mistaken. So oftentimes we want God to join us. We want God to make a move. But we're told if we'll look, God's moving. 
And if we'll join where he's at, then we can be a part of that. Thirdly, we should rejoice with great joy at the evidence of God. Verse 10 tells us, And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When we see God moving, we should rejoice. When we come to worship church, God is here. And we need to rejoice. And we need to rejoice in an exceedingly and in a great way. And fourth, we should fall down and worship Christ. Verse 11 says, And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Why did they fall down and worship him? I believe they truly understood whose presence they were in. I don't think every time we walk in here we're going to fall to our knees. I've had that experience before, but I believe in our heart. Church, that when we go before God in prayer, when we open God's word to read, when we come to God's house to worship, that we should fall down. Why do we fall down? Because we understand the greatness of the presence that we're in. Churches around the world in other countries are seeing a great move of God. Do you know why? I believe it's because they have persecution. We pray in America, and trust me, I'm the first one with you, to not go through persecution. But because of that, church, I truly believe that the church in America is in the state that it's in because we haven't had the persecution and we don't have to put our faith to a test and we don't always understand and remember the magnitude of who it is that we worship. It comes easy. You can go in any bookstore. You can go in Walmart. You can go anywhere you want. You can buy a Bible. I believe a lot of homes have Bibles. I tell you, I've got more than one copy. Most of you do. You know, the people who can't have this, they value it. They understand the love letter. They understand the power that's here. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes this morning. If anybody's my own. But I truly believe we take for granted what it is we have in Christ. And who it is that we worship. And I believe when we understand that and we can move that from our mind to our heart. And it fills us that any time we enter his presence we will not be able to stand on the inside. I've probably shared this story with you one time. I remember I grew up at Summer Grove Baptist Church in Shreveport. They had moved out there on to Burke Coons. It's now that telephone call center. Um, I had been away uh, playing piano at another church. And one time I had an opportunity to come back. I got there a little bit early. The choir and the orchestra were performing, um, not performing, they were practicing for worship that night. And I'll never forget walking in the back door and the presence of God being so real that I had to find a chair and sit down. I couldn't even stand. I just sit there and wept 
for a while. When we realize whose presence we're in, it will affect us. And fifth, we should bring him precious gifts. Tells us that the wise men brought him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What's precious is things that mean something to us. We talk about giving tithe and offering. This is not a a sermon on tithe and offering. But there's some people, and we read in scripture about that, that they'll bring and they'll put a little bit of money in the offering plate and they think they've done a great thing. But remember the story about the widow who gave a mite. You see, sometimes when we give, it's a sacrifice. There are other things that we give, just like uh, Lady Emma and her dog Shushu. She gave of what she had. And we give to others. We give to the church. We give in service. But I believe most of all, we need to give our life to Christ. He died on the cross for us. What does it mean to give our life to Christ? But I believe that we surrender over lordship. And that's a hard one. What does that mean? That means doing what God says, not what I want to do. Let me tell you, there's a lot of things I want to do that are contradictory to God's word. And I, just like you many times, do what I want to do. But we must learn and we must mature and grow. And when we do what we want to do instead of what God wants to do, he's a loving God. And we go and we confess and he forgives us of that. And fifthly, this last verse, I believe we should immediately obey God when he speaks. Verse 12, and having been warned by God in a dream... Not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Church, God still speaks today. He still speaks to me, and he still speaks to you. Well, how does he speak? Pastor, you tell me that you've heard him audibly. I've not heard audible words. Sometimes I almost thought it was. But he speaks through prayer. In communication with him. And he speaks through his word. I think it was Wednesday night. I said, why do I always harp about spending time in God's word? Because church, that's where he speaks. That's where he comes alive. That's where he changes our life. You want power in your life? You want hope, peace, joy, love, Christ? It comes from right here. He resides in us and he speaks to us through his word. Where is it that you're at today? Because you see as the slide that we had up earlier says that wise men still seek him. Are you a wise man? Are you a foolish man this morning? And that tells you right there. If you seek him, you're a wise man. I'm here to tell you you're a foolish man if you don't seek him. Would you bow your heads this morning?